Hello, and welcome to Stasis Pod, the Transformers animated podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. And today we are continuing our journey through Transformers Animated with episode 11, Lost and Found. It's not an ambitious title. No. It's more exciting. I mean, still haven't found what we're looking for. Well, yeah. I mean, they kind of find what they're looking for, or at least one of them does, except it just makes everybody else think he's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Add gaslighting to the list of Megatron's crimes. <laughs> <laughs> and we open on the moon. Transformers! Yeah, this first aired March 1st, 2008, uh, written by Rich Fogel, who also previously wrote Total Meltdown, and will go on to write several more episodes. And yeah, we open on the moon with uh, what I'm pretty sure is the trailer, is the first teaser for the first Transformers movie. <laughs> yes, there's moon quakes. But with David Kay doing the voice of one of the NASA guys. Yes. Yeah. It was the only warning we would ever get. That Michael Bay was making a Transformers movie. <laughs> Remember when that trailer got you so excited? Oh, those heady days of over a decade ago. I remember when I was just excited to have a phone with a like little two-inch screen that I could stream the trailer on. And I would show it to people whether they wanted to see it or not. <laughs> oh, jeez. I haven't been able to do that since this year. Ooh. You're, you're, you're a regular scared. Captain Fan Zone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Do you have a big dial on your cell phone too? That's not till next episode, isn't it? No, that isn't till next episode. (laughs) Although he is briefly in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of remembered him being in more episodes, but we'll get to that maybe sometime. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some recent seismic activity going on the moon, and it turns out it's because Starscream crashed the ship into it. Good job. Which, just made me think about science and, wait, are there moonquakes? I mean, there have to be moonquakes when, like, a meteor hits it if it's big enough. But under normal circumstances... The, the moon was seismically active at one point. That's, like, the, the, the seas on the moon, or the, the mare, are, like, old lava fields. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is just, well, that would have had been really early because it doesn't have an iron core and it, it's, not like, not as hot. I mean, unless you believe crazy Japanese theories that, like, there's a moon bunny that eats lava and stuff. Oh, you mean from Beast Wars 2? Yeah. No, I mean from Ultraman. (laughs) Anyway, I'm looking this up, and apparently moonquakes are a thing. I guess the the, the Apollo astronauts left seismometers there, and Hmm. they do happen, but they're very, like, mild. (laughs) Yeah, because there's no plate tectonics. Right. So this this also, I mean, I guess they don't end up with a moon base like they did in Armada, but it did make me think of, you know, how Armada sort of established the idea of the Decepticons having a moon base. Hmm. I mean, the moon. Well, I mean, the Autobots very... had two. They could afford to give the Decepticons one. 
That's, that's fair. But theirs is on Earth, and I don't actually I don't know if that's a plus or a minus. Yeah, I don't think the I don't think the Autobots have ever had a base on the moon. Uh, well, oh. that Earth's moon. They haven't had one on Earth's moon. Right. Yeah. I'm, the Minicons had one in the uh, Armada uh, Dreamwave comics, and the Decepticons were there in the Armada cartoon, and I guess the Vok had one of the moons of Earth. Uh, back on Beast Wars. Well, that's kind of cheating. Um, <laughs> technically, the Marvel Comics had a moon base in that they parked Fort Max there. Oh, right, right. I forgot about that. Oh, right. During that period, everyone forgets about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sort of late Budiansky. It all kind of runs together. Hmm. That and the space hikers. <laughs> anyway, much as happens in the uh, Transformers trailer... Uh, something squooshes this uh, lunar rover. And uh, the picture cuts out, and it turns out it is Lugnut and Blitzwing, who we last saw in the pilot. Though so this, this lunar rover is much cuter than the one in in the movie. I mean, the one in the movie was like the actual thing, whereas this is a kind of goofy cartoon one. <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> that's that's one thing I'm really appreciating this this time through a little more, I think, is all the adorable cartoony robots. Yes. So, yeah, for a quick refresher here, uh, Blitzwing has three personalities, uh, one sort of icy and Germanic, one angry and Germanic, and one crazy. And Germanic. Yes. The, th- the three forms of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ah. Yes. I was going to say, let's not mince words the. Fiery and Germanic one is just an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Yeah. Down to kind of the gap in his teeth. It, it really is. And a Lugnut is like a step above, like usually every Transformers cartoon has the one Decepticon who's always loyal to Megatron. And Lugnut is that to the nth degree because he kind of worships Megatron. Yeah. Yeah, like so good. And also he's not very bright, all in all. I mean, he's, it's less that he's, he's not bright, it's just that he's incredibly single-minded. Well, yeah. Yeah, because, like, so, a, so a lot true. of the previous dumb ones that were loyal, like, Tidal Wave, are just, just this character of stupid engine of destruction that don't mm. do anything. Lugnut is, is, yeah, he worships Megatron. He's, he's fanatical in a religious sense. Yes. I mean, he, he, he has a quote later in the episode that basically sums up his character. I believe only two things. The Decepticons will rule Cybertron, and Megatron will rule the Decepticons. Yep, that's pretty much him. Except it sounds much cooler because it's David K. doing like a robot voice. Yes, doing like a big dumb robot voice. Yes. Which is still, it doesn't sound like David K. to me. Even knowing it's him, it just doesn't. I mean, K.'s all over these shows. He's very good. Because he's acting. Versatile. More range than I thought he did. Yeah, he, he has a lot of range and it's just he's not asked to use it that often. <laughs> and it's, it's here that they mention that they, they were the ones who hired Lockdown. And Lugnut hates Lockdown because I guess he's mercenary and Lugnut believes only in fanatical devotion to Megatron. Yeah, I mean, he basically, like, said that basically I guess kind of called him a heretic but but more like you know he said that he was 
I guess the idea being that being a mercenary is shameful and you should be following the Decepticons out of devotion and not material recompense. Right. I mean, presumably uh, lockdown would work for an Autobot if they paid him enough. Yeah. And that's just, that's just not appropriate. I mean, that's, that's inconceivable to, uh, to Lugnut. Yeah. So, so yeah, he does not like lockdown, but that's okay because lockdown is not in this episode. No. So back on Earth, Ratchet unfortunately discovers that Detroit, even in 2050, is still hockey town. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, hockey has crossed over from real life into the show. Aww. our recording schedule recently. I mean, this been... isn't the first time we've seen Transformers playing sports. Uh, there's that one well, episode. No, but is this the first time we've seen hockey? I think it is. I think it's the first time we've seen hockey, despite two shows being produced in Canada. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, they were set before the existence of hockey. Unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hockey's everywhere. And I mean, it makes sense. Detroit is a big hockey town. So much so that they call it Hockey Town, even though uh, there's a reason that Toronto has the Hockey Hall of Fame, Detroit. But nice try. Well, Hall of Fames are in strange places for sports. I think I think I've driven by the Baseball Hall of Fame and wondered why is it uh, there. Well, Cooperstown isn't it? Uh, at least via some reports, like the site of the first baseball game. Sure. Like around the Civil but, War or something. And then I have no idea where the football or basketball Halls of Fame are, but Hockey Hall of Fame is in Toronto, and I've been there. Oh, wait. No, oh, no, it was the Basketball Hall of Fame I drove by. Anyway, so the Sari is playing street hockey with the Autobots. Uh, amusingly, Bumblebee is using a stop sign as a hockey stick. <laughs> yes. And I love that Bumblebee is, and then Bulkhead is just using a regular human-sized hockey stick. I know. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's like, it looks like a toothpick. Adorable. He wants to do it the right way. I mean, listen, you can have a non-regulation stick as per your height. Uh, they let Zdeno Chara have a uh, stick the size of a redwood because he's a human Frankenstein. He's <laughs> like seven feet tall. He's huge. Yeah. Scary. And also his name is Zdeno Chara. I think he's the product of, like, some Soviet-era superhuman <laughs> breeding program. Yeah, that sounds right. Oh. Well, they already had Ivan Drago for boxing. They needed one for hockey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Bumblebee uh, Bumblebee makes, like, Austin Matthews. But, unfortunately, uh, a trash bot makes, like, Terry Sawchuck and uh, makes a big save. I'll assume that's a good joke. I was just thinking the goalie is trash. (laughs) I like David's better. I'm sorry. Well, that does remind me of a trash can-related hockey anecdote. Oh, no. So in one one of their early seasons, the the Washington Capitals were the worst team in hockey, and it was like halfway through the season before they got a road win. I was – I think that was when I was living – so area. when they finally won one, uh, they took one of the garbage cans from the arena and paraded around the dressing room like uh, winning teams do after they win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> they dubbed it the Stanley Can. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Good job, them. 
And uh, Alex has just brought to our attention that the Transformers wiki, if you look for hockey on it, it redirects to the page on Canada. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a pretty good one. Perfect. Accurate. So, uh, unsurprisingly, this trash bot is not supposed to be playing goalie. And it turns out this was sorry cheating at hockey via her AllSpark key. Why? <sighs> She's the worst person to give this, like, all-powerful thing to. Especially after last episode. Like, they may not have been written in the right order, but they sound like was last episode. And, and all the chaos that came out of that from overpowered things, including the giant... Remember the giant garbage cans? No. <laughs> yes. To be all fair... Recycle, recycle. Okay, they were awesome when they played music, but... Uh. To be fair, though, Ratchet does get on her case about it. Yes. <laughs> Spoilers, later in the episode, the God Box gets on her case about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just maybe, could you stop? And even if this wasn't tremendously irresponsible, don't cheat on hockey. <laughs> That's just not I mean, right. Kind of impressive she found a way to. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and also it's the future, so they should have been using one of those glowing pucks they used on uh, Fox Sports in the uh, mid-90s. <laughs> <laughs> See, they thought Americans wouldn't be able to follow the uh, the game, so they, they made the puck glow uh, blue. Yeah. Uh, well, to be fair, the puck is damn tiny when they have the distance shots. It, it kind of. I helps. mean, the the puck is black. The ice is white. What more do you need? <laughs> it's tiny and it goes really I fast. Mean, and sometimes the cameraman can't keep up. I mean, I approve of any post production decision made in sports to make them look more like Tron. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Same. Uh. Mm. Anyway, so while this is going on, the key uh, very helpfully points out that two large glowing objects are speeding over the city and uh, crashing into it. And maybe you should go look into that, guys. And indeed they do. Because it, it turns out that uh, this is Bulkhead... Oh, I keep saying Bulkhead. Lugnut and Blitzwing, who have crashed into a construction site and are attempting to find out from the construction workers where Megatron is. They crash into a construction site full of construction workers wearing the generic G1 construction worker uniform. I mean, it's because appropriate there. It's great. Yes, that's true. I can just imagine Derek Wyatt squeeing at drawing that as the design of these characters. Yay, I get to use this. I mean, it- also, I want to correct something. They are not asking the construction workers. They're asking the construction equipment. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yes. Because they make the same mistake that the Autobots made in assuming that the mechanical life is the, you know, sentient life on the planet. And and speaking of Budiansky, this there's a very Budiansky feel to this scene. Yeah. Yeah. The the way they're trying to talk to the things and there's a sight gag. Yes. <laughs> that just comes in like a wrecking ball because it is a wrecking ball. <laughs> One thing I do kind of want to unpack, uh, well, two things. One, Megatron, when he finally makes contact with Lugnut, but not Blitzwing, because he's starting to get paranoid about other Decepticons. <laughs> yes, after Starscream betrayed him, he's starting to think maybe he should not be so trusting. Also, Blitzwing is more likely to blurt something out and maybe inform the Autobots that Megatron's around. Yes, he said that... that 
Blitzwing <laughs> seemed unstable. Which is entirely but, fair. Blitzwing is yeah, but, super but, unstable. Lugnot doesn't have an inside voice. Well, no, but everybody thinks that he's like a delusional maniac anyway. Yeah. Which is true, but... And now he's actively being gaslit <laughs> by Megatron. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, I, I really do like the, the effect of Megatron starting to talk to him where the circuit board lights up and then Megatron's face shows up in a Decepticon sigil-shaped window. And it's all sort of, like, distorted. That is a neat effect. It's very uh, SNES dialogue box kind of thing. Ooh, yeah. It does seem like he is about to inform us that all of our base are belong to him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's true. All of our base are belong to him. So, yeah, the, the... the Autobots uh, get going there. They leave Sari behind, even though she wants to go, because, you know, this is a r- battle between giant, terrifying space robots. Maybe stay home. Yeah. Maybe go home. And Sari weirdly complains that that's just like her... They're acting just like her dad, which raises a weird question to me. Is is she complaining that her dad is always sending her away? Or is she complaining <laughs> that the Autobots and her dad are both saying the same thing, which is, please go to your home. <laughs> being really sad that his daughter is no longer spending time with him. Yeah. I mean, I figure it's more like a thing where, like, some dad's going to, like, meetings or, like, conferences and stuff, and he has to leave her behind to, you know, be raised by her robot dog and her speaking spell. Aw, that makes it way sadder. I was just thinking that she was just saying, you guys are sounding like authority. But... It's well, way sadder yeah, it to, on multiple you know, do it in the context of her actual upbringing. Now I'm sad. Well, I mean... Well, she does show up in his lab all the time. He's like, he probably has shouted at her quite a few times, Go home! <laughs> I'm at work. Go home, which is like upstairs. Go home where it's safe. Not her. in my lab. <laughs> like, seriously, do you remember that thing with the with the robot cockroach monster? I mean, presumably that stuff was happening all the time. That was kind uh, of the impression, yeah. And not to mention, you know, the various, you know, supervillains of Detroit who are probably always trying to rob this place. Yeah. The robot secrets. Those are the best secrets. Anyway, so the Autobots get there, and there is a fight. And it is a pretty cool fight. It is clearly being done on a shoestring budget, but it still ends up being really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's not as good as the fights uh, in um, the Nanosec episode, but eh, it's still pretty good. They're trying lots of things, including a, a Thanos circus that doesn't quite look as awesome as it could. What be. now? Uh, when when Lugnut shoots all the damn missiles. Yes. Okay, I, I I have in my and they just notes, fly towards the target. Anime missile thing. Ask David. <laughs> It's called it's called an Itano Circus, named after the animator named Itano. <laughs> Forget it. I think it was in Macross Circuit where it started, or at least where the term. They came would definitely from. do that and that, yeah. Oh, Macross, good, so good. Oh yeah, uh, Ichiro Itano. Yep, the director of that show. Okay. Macross, Macross. Yeah, he does, he does that thing where he fires a zillion missiles. Yes. And like and all he, sorts of doors on him open up to 
launch missiles. Like, most of his insides must be missiles. That's why he's not very smart. That does seem to be the case. He is composed mostly of missiles and not thinking stuff. Uh, like we get a little bulkhead lug nut fight, which I seem to recall they kind of uh, had as like a Hulk versus Thing uh, rivalry when they started the show, like in the character Bible, but I don't think they ever actually fought each other much. Uh, they do fight a couple, at least once or twice I, more, I think, but yeah, it's not as big as it might have been intended no. to be. Yeah. I mean, kind of doesn't pair well between uh, doing the whole one Decepticon as a threat and then having them be kind of on even footing. No, although I guess Bulkhead is the one who's closest in size to a Decepticon. Yeah. Although, like, can you imagine big. Bulkhead being rivals with anyone? He's too nice. No, although we'll we'll get there's a bit I want to touch on in the next episode. That's, okay. Yeah. But no, Bulkhead is he's the kindest of the Autobots, and also the strongest. But Lugnut still slaps him aside. And then they make the mistake of telling Lugnut that Megatron is dead. Bumblebee <laughs> tells him he no. turned into a fireball somewhere above Cleveland, and you're off by one dead city, Bumblebee. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, maybe Cleveland, you know, if Detroit is now, you know, the robot capital of America, maybe Cleveland is like the bioengineering capital of uh, Ohio or something. Yeah. Or it's it's where they make flying cars. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Cleveland. <Rotary> cell phones. <laughs> I love that rotary cell phone. Anyway, this is the that exact it's... wrong thing to say to a to a fanatical robot who is the size of a duplex. And so he activates what was later dubbed the punch of kill everything. <laughs> or the poke. <laughs> So he, he, he ter- transforms his arm into a thruster, fires it at the and ground, and it creates into a nuke. Yes. Yeah, it's it's another very anime thing that. Well, actually, I can't think of anything specifically that does do that, but elbow thrusters are. I, I'm almost positive there's at least one Super Sentai robot that does a jet thruster powered punch or kick. Yeah, that sounds really familiar. So this takes out everybody, both the Autobots and the Decepticons. And Blitzwick is upset because he did not warn him before he did it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it implies that this is a recurring problem. Yes. <laughs> I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Give me some warning before you use the punch. <laughs> Pretty much exactly like that, yeah. So this is finally when Megatron, you know, he says, okay, Lugnut is obviously insanely devoted to me. I will start gas, I will immediately begin gaslighting him. Yes. <laughs> well, it's, no, like, well, uh, definition of gaslighting is weird. He's actually talking to him. Lugnut started gaslighting him. So, I mean, no. I guess Blitzwing is gaslighting him, although by all standards, he should believe that Lugnut is insane. Yeah, I, Basically, gaslighting would be if Megatron was lying to him. Megatron is not lying to him. On the other hand, he is selectively giving out information to people to create this kind of misconception, so. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, it's technically yeah. not alive. Oh no, 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 no. Megatron is gaslighting um some deck. Well, yes, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. That, that's true. That's entirely true. He's telling some of the truth, but he's lots of lies of omission. And sticking with that, it's like, no, that's Well, now, see, happening. let me, let me give you a, a perfect definition of, to explain properly what gaslighting is. Because the point of gaslighting, whether consciously on the part of the person doing it or not, is to make you question your own assumptions and reality. So for instance, the repair center I've been working with, <laughs> For this video card of mine that has broken, that keeps sending me video cards that it says are fixed but are not, they are gaslighting me because they are trying to make me believe that I am wrong in thinking that it's broken or that the part is made, the problems may be with my motherboard. They're, they're trying, they're lying to me in hopes of manipulating me into questioning my own perception of the situation. That's what gaslighting is. <laughs> I'm very angry about this. I wrote an I wrote a essay about this and people should look at my Twitter and, and read it. It was pretty good. It was. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, so, I would say that it's I wouldn't say that necessarily what's going on here is is gaslighting on anyone's part. It's not really intended to, it's not really lying to manipulate. Yeah, it's becoming, it's a convenient term, but it's an overused term, and I really should read the original story it was in, but I can't remember what the hell it was called. It was called Gaslight. Was? Yes. Oh. It was yeah, a movie. Right. Okay. It's a Hitchcock old, movie, I, I believe. Old black and white movie. <laughs> but I, I think we're losing Side of what's important here, which is jet tank. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Because uh, the, the Megatron tells Lugnut, "I'm alive, and and you should find me at some point or something. I need the key. And so we and, get out of there right now because you're being bothered by Autobots. Yes, and he flies and, off, and he starts talking to himself, and Blitzwing's like, "Wait, what? No, no, let's kill the Autobots first. No, we must obey Megatron and." Lugnut just bear hugs Blitzwing and flies out of there. Yes, he just grabs him and takes off. Nope. We're going to go find Megatron the Master now. calls. So they, they fight in midair and end up crashing into a military base very conveniently. As is per usual. And the cops are en route, uh, led by Captain Fanzone. Of course. And then he does my favorite thing that he does, which is using a bullhorn in a situation where a bullhorn is entirely inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. So also, I do I do have an issue with this whole situation of the Decepticons scanning these vehicles and hiding among them. What is that problem? That problem is okay. Why are the police responding first on an active military base? <laughs> before the military. And also, how does the military not notice an extra multi-million dollar jet or two? <laughs> I mean, I guess they weren't there for long. Yeah, I guess they it wasn't long enough for anyone who would should know what was happening to show up and say, hey, that shouldn't be there. I mean, they might wonder why they have a purple one all of a sudden. Yeah. Yes, a giant purple sort of World War II style bomber. Yeah, so Lugnut scans this like big World War II style bomber. And uh, Blitzwing, uh, one personality wants to scan a jet, another one wants to scan a, a tank, 
And, and then, the crazy one is that girl from the Taco Shell commercial. <laughs> Why not both dot gif? Yes. Pineapple, apple, pineapple, apple. <laughs> That's another movie. Anyway. Uh, because, yes, these, uh, remember, these guys are toys. We gotta sell them. Yes. And it's important. This does make you wonder, was Blitzwing a triple changer beforehand? The that is a good comics, question. The comics that kind of serve as a prequel to the series suggest yes. Oh. And I cool. guess that if you're a triple changer, I guess you don't have to be a triple changer. Presumably you could just use one mode. You know, two yeah, modes. Or, or he could have just scanned one mode and kept his other mode as his Cybertronian mode. Yeah, never thought of that. And I... I guess some of the, uh, like Generation 1 triple changers probably are like that because there's one Earth mode and then one mode that we absolutely could not make into anything resembling an Earth vehicle. Yes. Oh, poor Broadside. Yeah. Yeah. They tried. They didn't try very hard. <laughs> I mean, even, you know, now with that new Broadside, he turns into a pretty good aircraft carrier and something that can only be very generously be called a jet. It looks even less like a jet than his G1 self did. <laughs> and that was, and his G1 jet mode is basically an aircraft carrier turned upside down with wings and a cockpit on it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Not good. It's not they, convincing. That new one comes, comes with teensy aerial bots. Yes! Oh, uh, there's that. Such good touch. I want them. They're so good. Oh, I have them and I'm, I'm gonna lose them. They're so tiny. <laughs> I would never lose them. That's a lie. I would lose them. No, I wouldn't. I would love them. Anyway, the Autobots, they get back to base, and they figured, okay, Decepticons are here. The jig is up. Uh, we got to fix the ship get, uh, and get the AllSpark and ourselves out of Dodge. And to fix the ship, they're going to need the AllSpark key. Uh, but Sari is not having any of this because... As we noted previously, she kind of has no friends, except for the Autobots, and they are going to go to space. Poor kid. Yeah. Well, she's a small child, but she's also extremely ageist against Ratchet. <laughs> well, he's all crotchety. Well, I guess he's ageist against her being a... He calls her a protoform. Yeah, she, she calls him a grumpy old bot. <laughs> she's competing with... Uh, I just, Want a movie where Ratchet and Walter Matthau are both vying for the love of Anne Margaret? <laughs> like Maine or wherever that movie takes place? Uh. Burgess Meredith is there for some reason, possibly as Galobulus. <laughs> In that Hasbro shared universe. Yup. Getting, getting it all going. He's just his grumpy old man character, except he's like a snake man with a lobster grown out of one eye. <laughs> So Prime is all, hey, hey, you you two obviously are not getting along. Work together. That's why he's Optimus Prime and you're not. Yes. And uh, then we cut back to Lugnut Blitzwing, who are on uh, one of the city's ever-present hover billboards. Which I have so many questions about this scene. It's very short, but how how is Lugnut, let alone Lugnut and Blitzwing, standing on a sign on the side of a Zeppelin? And how is it staying in the air? Those things are very strong, I guess. Apparently. Yep. No. I love that they're joyriding on an ad blimp. <laughs> <laughs> they're a big, 
bag filled with air that can barely hold themselves up. To be fair, it did look a lot closer to the skyline than would normally be safe, so. Yeah, well, so are the ones in Batman the Animated Series. They never go that high. (laughs) Also, they never have giant robots on them. Yeah, like, there's so much more mass in those robots than in the rest of the Zeppelin. So yeah, they're they're just watching the city below, and Megatron tells Lugnut about the uh, Allspark key, and they have to go get it. And so they do. So the Autobots are headed off to scenic Lake Erie. We hear the plaintive call of a loon. (laughs) And uh, they're they're about to get in, but yeah, Blitzwing Blitzwing and Lugnut get there first. And before they can even drive under the lake, Blitzwing freezes it solid. Or at least... Not solid, but he freezes a very large layer of ice on top of it, so sucks to be yeah, those loons. That's pretty massive. I'm surprised at the restraint of the writers. Like, th- there weren't that, that many ice puns in this episode, and there's so good of them. Especially <laughs> with Blitzwing having an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. No. The Iceman cometh. Yeah, he no. did, I think, two heat puns, but only one ice pun? Uh, cool party. Maybe that personality is just too chill to make those jokes. That does seem well, like a possibility. Uh, <laughs> oh. Honestly, that Joel Schumacher movie is, it gets way too much shit for not actually being all that bad. I kind of enjoy it. It's not any worse than the Batman movies that came before it, really. I mean, I still think Burton movies are better. Yeah. I mean, come on. No. Tim Burton. I mean, that, and that's pre, uh, that's still doing good movies, Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's like... Back before Johnny Depp had to be in every movie he made. Yeah. Somehow Johnny Depp not playing Batman in those. Well, that was kind of before they began their bro friendship for life. Well, he was in Edward Scissorhands before that. Yeah, but, like, I think that was the only day movie they were together for. And then, and then they came back later for something and just Everything. stuck like glue. Yeah, before, he, I guess he was in Beatles. I guess Michael Keaton's in Beatles. Is there an alternate universe where Michael Keaton is just in every uh, Tim Burton movie? And he's like the attractive guy who's attractive, even Michael. though he's Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's a good-looking guy. Yeah, we're we're yeah. in the better Michael Keaton universe. He went on to some better movies. Huh. Birdman. And also, does that mean that there's like in this alternate universe there are like five movies where Michael Keaton is playing a drunken pirate? <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds reasonable. Okay, that would be fun. <laughs> Anyway, so this that sounds more plant- interesting than Whoopi Mad Hatter as Michael Keaton. Yeah, I mean, how many late Tim Burton movies are just Tim Burton mashing his Johnny Depp and Helena Bottom Carter action figures together and making <laughs> smooching noises? So many, so many. At least half a dozen. The most awkward, drawn-out proposal to to have your best friend get in a threesome with your wife. Which you know, that's most. I do like Sweeney Todd though. One of the rare musicals I like. Good movie. Anyway. <laughs> Robots. Anyway, so this freeze in the lake plan almost works, but unfortunately, 
uh, Lugnut has to blunder in and carve open a gaping ice hole. Like, like this ice is like 20 feet thick here. It's, uh. Like he created a glacier. Yeah. <laughs> Lake Erie's ecosystem is doomed. Yeah. Like <laughs> Autobots are falling off it because it's so high up and it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's kind of big. So yeah, they, uh, the Autobots plunge in, Ratchet gets to the ship, and Lugnut and Blitzwing end up fighting the rest of the Autobots who, uh, Prime drives super fast, creating a underwater dirt tornado. <sighs> and also killing the encoding on my copy of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed like a very headmaster's make up some stupid power thing. Although I guess it is kind of G1 that you spin in a circle, it's going to make a whirlwind or a tornado. Yeah. Also, no one understands how underwater fight physics work. Kind of, yeah, but it, at least... Also like G1. The entire purpose of that from Prime was to stir up the silt and make it cloudy, which it would do. Yeah, yes. that's fair. And, I mean, because uh, Lake Erie is... Uh, presumably this is, you know, after decades of Lake Erie cleanup, uh, this water isn't dissolving them as it would have been, say, the <laughs> 70s. <laughs> oh, well, Lugnut would have set it on fire on contact. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Well, episode's over, and also the Midwest is uninhabitable. (laughs) Solid day's work. Good good job, good job. Time for us to all move to Indiana. A fate worse than death. (laughs) Now we can move to Pawnee. Uh, How many shipwrecks are at the bottom of Lake Erie? Um... I don't know if there are that many. I know it's uh, it's superior, it said, uh, never gives up her dead when the, the gales of November come early. Uh, yeah. God damn it. They, they sort of land by a ship, and all the Autobots that are in the fight tuck themselves into a little corner of the ship, which is a nice visual gag. Yes. They sort of squeeze in there. That says there are approximately 2,000 shipwrecks in Lake Erie. Uh, well... Depends how they're defining ship, because this is a big, like, tanker. I mean, there are a fair number of, like, like, you know, like, you know, 20th century shipwrecks there. Hmm. Like, a lot of barges. Uh, I mean, I thought there was only one shipwreck, and he was in G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not in Lake Erie. Uh, that's a different Man, that's where, he, that's where he's, like, got demoted to by 2050. He's just an Aww. old Jack Nicholson impersonator, like, running a tugboat. <laughs> That's sad. That is very sad. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real pain. I've gone through like five pollies. <laughs> Turns out parrots don't live very long in uh, in Michigan winters. <laughs> That's just sad now. Uh, sometimes Deep Six sends me postcards. They signed him <laughs> to Florida. <laughs> Anyway, so what, while this fighting is going on, uh, Ratchet and Sari are on the ship. She storms off because she's still mad about them leaving. And she comes up with the bright idea that she's just going to tear wires out of the ship uh, until it can't fly. She's Sorry, gonna... you obnoxious little gremlin. Seriously, <laughs> she's the worst kid. She's just going to tear things up. How old is she supposed to be? Eight. They say in the next episode oh. that she is eight. 
Okay, that, that kind of makes sense for annoying, precocious little eight-year-old. But yeah, she's setting up the sabotage and ripping cords out, and then the key's having none of that. Uh, yeah, that, that key can't stand it, and it knows she planned it. She's It's going <laughs> to set it straight, this water gate. Uh, okay. That's uh, well, sabotage. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember all the words to it. I haven't heard it in like... Listen all y'all. It's a sabotage. That's the only uh, part I remember. Now I'm just remembering... Uh, am I crazy for thinking this, but at one point there was a sketch about William Shatner covering that and insisting on pronouncing it sabotage? Or am I, I getting like two so. or three things confused? That, that sounds familiar. I can't think of where I heard it, but I... Oh. It might have been Shatner himself. I think it was Shatner saying sabotage. I mean, that's a bit from, like, the... They recorded a, an outtake from the 60s Star Trek where an assistant director is trying in vain to get him to pronounce sabotage like a human. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, say sabota- you say sabotage. I say sabotage. <laughs> and then I think they ended up giving the light of Nimoy or something. <laughs> uh, tomato, tomato. Anyway, so, yeah, the, as previously mentioned, God Box. Uh, come. <laughs> pulls the key towards uh, the wall where it fixes these wires and then gives her a terrifying image of Megatron. And then, for good measure, builds a Megatron. Yes. yes. It's not even like a glowing thing. It looks like a fully reanimated Megatron. Yeah, which is weird. Like, can it do that? I mean, it's Did it just do that? Come on. It can do whatever it wants. I guess the AllSpark can do pretty much anything, but, like, it, all its previous things... It's shown her in, like, holograms. It even shows, like, a hologram of Megatron's head first. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this freaks her out so bad that she actually opens the airlock and almost drowns. Which makes me wonder, was the Allspark trying to get her to kill herself? <laughs> like, whoa, I mean, she just used me to animate, like, garbage cans and toys. <laughs> Maybe this will end up uh, with somebody less weird. <laughs> Start over. Ah, oh, oh, so harsh. But anyway, Ratchet finds her first, and she does not die. Good. <laughs> and Ratchet explains that you know I've you know I've become very fond of this planet, and I we only want to leave because we want to save it. Oh, it's all feelsy. Gotta do it. It's all so feelsy. So it's here that Ratchet he starts talking to the ship. Which uh, is a clue for something that's going to come later. Uh, Foreshadowing. Yay! (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was originally a military ship, and they decommissioned it uh, when, you know, the war ended. But all the weapons are still there. They just have to turn them back on. Yeah. So Lugnut has uh, transformed into jet mode and uh, used his thrusters to blow away the silt. But this is just in time for Ratchet and Sari to reactivate the giant turret on top of this, and blow the Decepticons into oblivion. Oh, it's such a nice little scene, because Lugnut says something, I think he says slag really quietly before the beam hits him. Yes, yes he does. And it comes blasting out of the ocean like a Macross cannon, (laughs) nearly vaporizing them, breaking them down into their component toy parts. Yes. Got to screw them back together. 
So back at base, Sari is fixing Bumblebee, who got smacked around by the Decepticons. And, well, he asked for a little customization with the uh, the key. Uh, she start, she gets all ratchet on him, completely with, like, bags under her eyes. Yeah, that's <laughs> disturbing, ratchet's face it's on her such body. Such a good impression. That's pretty good. It's a good impression, but, like, the bags under the eyes, it looks wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, so, and ratchet says that, you know, even with the key, the ship is still super busted, so we're not going for a while. We had a plot, but don't expect it to advance anytime soon. I mean, it advanced a little, and it's about to advance even more, because uh, back uh, back on Lake Erie, the various components of Lugnut and Blitzwing are still bobbing around. Give me your hand here. Leg. How about a pelvis? <laughs> <laughs> and, Mega- and Lugnut is pleading for Megatron's forgiveness. Aww. And uh, they do get some help. But it's from Starscream. <laughs> we have not seen since the pilot. And he says that he'll fix them in exchange for their undying loyalty. So so they're just going to laugh at him, right? Yeah, it, it fades mean, to black, and then I imagine they immediately start laughing. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're, they're uh, no. various disembodied pieces. They don't really have a lot of choice here. Yeah, but Lugnut. Lugnut, yeah. Lug, Lug, I can't imagine how Lugnut would agree to this under any terms. I remember that they don't know that Starscream betrayed Megatron. I guess. Well, still, swearing fealty to another god, lord, king, just doesn't seem like a love nut thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Starscream's just a giant worm. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that is the episode. It's, uh, it does, uh, a good, you know, does a reasonable job of moving pieces into place where they're going to be for the season finale. Yeah. Hmm. Brings us back to a couple very fun Decepticon characters. Yes, fun antagonists. And the the whole plot with Sari being irresponsible is a little overblown, and I think this might be the last time they do uh, Sari being super careless with the key. I hope so. Yeah. Because she's the most mischievous so far in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. And that's including inciting a robot revolution last episode? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that one was at least not entirely her fault. Hmm. I guess. But still not great. Yeah. Not really the best thing to have done. <laughs> so, you know, you know um, I, I enjoyed it just fine. Yeah. But yeah. I, I like the... Blitzwing lug nut thing. They're, they're, they're a good, good pair. Yeah. And I think they continue to sort of be the those two Decepticons for the rest of the series. Hmm. Yeah, they really are. I mean, even when Megatron's back, they end up paired together a lot. Hmm. I mean, I guess they're kind of the, the two, like, normal Decepticons who aren't part of another subgroup or are trying to betray him or anything. They're just, you know, I need two guys to do something. I'll send those two guys. They could be named Rank and File. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be we will be back next week. But until then, you can find us all over the internet. We are on uh, Tumblr, we're on Twitter, and we're on Facebook. And we are hosted on IaconUnderground.net. 
where we have a Patreon set up to help uh, fund hosting and equipment for this and our news show, Icon Underground Radio. You can find that on patreon.com slash Icon Underground. And of course you can find us, uh, all, you can, you can find us on both, uh, iTunes and on Google Play, wherever you prefer to get, uh, your podcasts and wherever you do, please rate and review us. And if you want to, uh, write into us, then please write into the Maxim Mailbag at stasispodcast at gmail.com. We'd uh, love to hear from you. So please join us next time, uh, when we, uh, we submit to the laws of evolution. And watch Survival of the Fittest. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. Night. I mean, my sister's Game Gear might still be there in a box somewhere. Pod is ready. The pod is ready. This episode title is kind of not related to the episode. I mean, stuff is lost and then also found, kind of. And then it's found. Usually when there's something lost and found, there's something someone is looking for. I mean, they're looking for Megatron. Yeah, but... Okay, so Megatron is sitting in a we cardboard box with some keys, yeah, yeah. and this can be an outtake? So, didn't want to say it on the episode, because it does spoil the foreshadowed thing, but... Does that technically mean that uh, Blitzwing and Lugnut could survive fighting Darkseid? Because they totally survived an Omega Beam. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh.